It's another Monday. We're talking about that. I'm your host, Johnny W., with my co-host, as always, John Driver. Hey! <laughs> hey, we switched roles. It felt wrong. It felt... You didn't like it? No. I thought you did, I thought you did Splendiferous. It was great. I like being able to just hang back and mock things that you do. <laughs> it's a safe... It's a safe retreat position for me. I'm a coward, John. It's kind of been our... That's sort of been the... Hey, you go say something and then I'll you'll make fun of it. Deconstruct it and make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's very... That's how I am. Well, I told you at lunch that what makes our relationship work is that you're a lot smarter than me. You know? And I don't so think it, that that's true. I think I'm more intellectually tortured than you. <laughs> you but know? that's a smarter thing then. That means you have more intellect to torture uh, you. I think, but I think if I was to explain what I was bothered by to a really smart person, be like, oh, well, this is what your, this is what your problem is. And then they would f- be able to fix me maybe. They'd be like, well, you're just being stupid. <laughs> I think that's the thing though is like we, everybody, not everybody thinks they're smart, but we do use ourselves as the median. Yeah for most things. It's the old George Carlin thing we've talked about where he said, everyone driving faster than you. Ever notice that everyone driving faster than you is a maniac? Everyone driving slower than you is an idiot? Right. Like, that's that's our relativism in a nutshell. We use ourselves as a guide yeah. and a measuring stick without me even meaning to. And so, yeah, I think everybody thinks of themselves as like someone who is a thoughtful person. Yeah. But not everyone is. No. And I think, I do think that when we talked to lunch about Chris Rock said, um, of course, there's more depression in comics because we're literally paid to sit around and think about this stuff. Like it's your job to deconstruct and, and try to find the funny and really dark things. And so, yeah, you're going to be more likely to mull things over and be uh, more vulnerable or whatever. So, yeah, it opens you up to those darker thoughts. Uh, but that's not to be confused with like depth. I just think it just is a it's a it's a uh, it's a rigor of the job. It's just part of the deal. I think people do. It's interesting you say that. I think people really do confuse cynicism with depth. Yeah. You know, like if I can find if I can find the false bottom to everything to mm-hmm. your way of thinking, then I I win. You know, I win yeah. the intellectual contest. Yeah, and what you win is depression usually. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We all lose out of cynicism. Um, not that there's not things worth being, I guess, suspicious of. Yeah, there's. I think there's a healthy skepticism, and then there's a everyone is in. Everyone is on the take, so why not just you know throw it all out? Yeah. That that mindset is really toxic, and I'm trying to figure out a way to to not let that be pervasive in my own life. But it it's definitely hard because yeah, you think of yourself as more deep when you are looking for the everyone's angle. And then it makes you more likely to be on the take yourself. You're like, well, if everyone's got an angle, right. this may, it justifies your own darkness. Yeah. Because you can be like, well, if everyone is doing it, then why am I going to be the lone right. soldier for justice out here? Forget that. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah, we but, really we started off on ooh, just the... Well, that's what happens when you open the show. <laughs> I am sorry, guys. We everyone thought I was a serious. We'll do a five-minute segment on cotton balls next. I promise <laughs> it'll be very light, and I don't know. No, man, it's uh, it's just part of it. So, well, hey, but how was your week? Welcome everybody. We're sharing our our weeks now. This is the part we share. We do. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like group. It's like group therapy. <laughs> do you want to go first, John? No, I. Um, 
Yeah, I had a good week. I'm, I did a show at a club. Zany's our, our local club. I got invited to be a part of a show uh, with uh, John Christ. Yeah. So it's his, some of his first shows back after yeah. COVID and after everything that he went through as well. And if you don't know, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But you probably, well, we're I'm, probably I'm not, gonna I'm not definitely it. not going to be the guy. <laughs> Uh, but it was good to see him again and he looks good and healthy and, um, we had some good conversations. I think we're supposed to have lunch tomorrow, so that'll be fun to catch up. And yeah, it was good to see a room that was, I mean, it was, it, their capacity is 50% now at Zany's, but it, it's the most full I've seen Zany's in a long time. Yeah. So it was the most they could sell. They sold it out really quickly. You know, he's very popular on the internet. So, um, yeah, man, it, it was cool. And, uh, he had invited me to come do the show. And so I got to do like 10 minutes and, couple new things out there that i'm trying to get a good clip of and so we shot it on a cell phone this guy this other comedian there shot it with his cell phone and then i got the clip today and i'm just like for whatever reason i'm like a little bit to the left so it's not perfectly centered mm -hmm. so i'm just i'm a little bit like oh why can't we just well, lift the phone perfection it is but again it's yeah you know what perfection is funny because I, I think about there's some there's some trends in my life so there's something i don't think i've told on the podcast, but I did a uh, smile direct club for my teeth. Yeah. Cause I have a tooth. I call my, cause that's what you do. That's what smile direct club is. Yeah. I, mean, I did smile direct club for, for my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> for <this laughs> they were third, totally crossed. third nipple I have. Yeah. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, it did not work one, <laughs> one bit. One bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, for like, and, and like, I don't have, like I have this one, I call it my snaggle tooth. And that's because, in photos, occasionally, it if you catch it, if you take a picture of me from this side, it's just, it's my front tooth is kind of crooked, there's one behind it, then it'll cast a shadow. Yeah. It looks like I'm in some uh, Appalachian theater, theatrical production I don't like or the way you've maligned the Appalachian I'm just saying, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, guys. But it just looks like I don't have a tooth there. <laughs> so, so an Appalachian theater production. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I wasn't saying... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like we're we're portraying in a theatrical production what oh, we I thought see. Appalachian people would be, which yeah. is a total stereotype I would not go along with. I'm just no, saying these, you wouldn't even you would never even bring it up. Right, but these theaters are doing it left and right. So anyway. Yeah. So uh something's gotta be done about theater culture. <laughs> now that there's no plays at all happening, <laughs> you decide to just this is your new cause. Oh man. And so Jeffrey, who always has taken a lot of my uh headshots and stuff over the yeah. years, like he knows he goes in. He straightens he, it. And he, well, he gets rid of the shadow of my snaggle tooth. If, oh, I if see. the shot picks it up in the light or whatever. I thought he just like cloned the other tooth and just overlaid it to make him look straight. He can. He could do whatever. So, but, and most people don't notice it, you know, as far as I know. But anyway, so it, they had a deal and I was like, you know, because I, I went, had that TV thing last year yeah. on the uh, Nashville Today show. Yeah, yeah. And I was on the wrong side for it. And I was like, so the, all these stage lights made me look like it. I was like, man, this is bugging me. Like, I, I've been in, it's just bugging me. It's vanity. And I'm, I'm throwing you all kinds of things to make fun of me for it. It's just fine. Because I don't do a lot of, I don't think I do a lot of vanity. Like, I don't really, like, I'm okay with, like, that I'm not, you know, I'm okay with who I am and what I look like. But yeah. that, And the second thing is, is I keep getting food stuck in that little spot. So I'll be in meetings all the time, and I'm constantly thinking, is there something, is there food stuck in my snaggle tooth? Anyway, so my wife is like, enough is enough. They're running a deal. Go to the small club direct. So I went so in. So she has an issue with it. No, she's tired. Of, she has an issue with me talking about it so oh, much. Yeah. She's like, she doesn't care. So I finally, I love how you want to throw under the bus. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> and so I, 
uh, went and had an appointment or I got on their website and they're like, yeah. you know, now we're doing nighttime only. I was like, dude, sign me up for that. Cause John, nighttime, you, you have to only have to wear it at night. Yeah, Cause I, I don't know if you know this, but I sleep at night. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was going to be like a, Oh, that's easy. So I go in there and you know, they do this whole 3d imaging camera mm-hmm. thing in your mouth. And then they come back and tell me, well, the dentist says, and they call them dentists and not orthodontists. Well, oh, maybe that's, that's the problem, That's a Johnny. concern. Maybe that's the problem. So we sent off your stuff to the dentist, and he says your crowding is too severe for nighttime. You're going to you're gonna have to wear it. But normally it's six months. Yeah, yeah. You only got to wear it for three. And I was like, okay, so 12 weeks, I can do this. But they want you to wear it, Johnny, mm-hmm. 22 hours so not nighttime, not nighttime only. 22 out of 24 hours. You can't sleep that long. No, I've tried. And so you can't, and only water. You can't drink anything else with it. And so if you can't have food, you have to take them out. Oh. So, so for three months, I was like, geez, I mean, this is a pretty big, and at first it makes you talk a little differently, you know. Wait a minute. Because Johnny knows, because on several episodes I've had to take it out, because if I just switched to the next aligner. You're like, anyway, you guys, it's going to be so sweet, it's the best episode ever. It's the worst. It's, 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 and you anyway. Get, there's a lot of clicking and clocking. And I don't know. It sounds like a, a herd of Clydesdales are coming down the it's hall. It's just super, like, not, like, I know, again, not only do I not like vanity when I've tried it, mm-hmm. it's so, like, inconvenient. I'm like, gosh, but I already paid the money. Right. So I go through, I get to week nine out mm-hmm. of 12, yeah. and I go to put on week 10, and it just doesn't fit at all. So they make me come back in, rescan me. And then I'm like, guys, I just, I just want to finish out something's not right here. They're like, yeah, well, it works different for everybody. 22 more weeks. Three more, three more months. Yeah. <laughs> right back into it. I was like, God. So I, but if you wear it at night, it stays where it is. It's basically uh, like the, the, so I took a few weeks off, wore it only at night. So I didn't lose, you know, what I had started it again. And then that time I got to like week three and they I go to put them in and there's like, they're two different sizes. And then we go and look and printed. They've sent me the wrong ones. Oh, guys, you got Bill Johnson's oh, my, night guard. Well, it's not that they sent me like like week six. That'd be a great like, mix if you're like, I don't know what's going on. You come out, your old <laughs> teeth are coming out the side of you. You're like, we had no idea. Well, they sent me week six instead of week three for the uppers and not the lowers. And so like I'm no. like, this hurts real bad. Are you sure this is right? No, what's wrong? So every time that they make a mistake. Spot down real hard. Every time Spot. they make, make a mistake, you wait like another three, four weeks sure. to get it. And then they start you back every time at the beginning of three months. So what should have taken three months, Johnny, took over a year. So what you're saying, they're not a sponsor. What I'm telling you is, <laughs> I don't know how it works for everybody else. And I finally finished. I got all the way to the end. I, I finished the 12th yeah. week of my last run of it or whatever. So it's been less than direct. It's from been. The smile it, direct. <laughs> it's been a circuitous. A indirect. Yeah. And the deal is my teeth are straighter. Okay. But I still. It's still not totally pulled around. And I could call them today and they'd be like, well, we're going to send you out another one. And I'm tired of taking things out to eat. So, Johnny, I've just given in to Snaggletooth. Just call me that now. And I, what my point of that was, <laughs> is you talked about, you know, you can't handle your picture being off center. Like, look, yeah. I'm just going to have imperfection. So in my team. Well, and honestly, with comedy, you like there used to be a thing. I was running some clips and you'd run through this filter and I can't remember what it was called. It's probably changed a million times now. There's a million other things out, but. It was basically a filter that you use for studio recordings where it eliminates uh, any ambient noise. Or if something starts to die down, it just takes it down to zero really quickly. 
And so I was like, I'll run through this filter. And it was like, it killed the whole authentic energy of what comedy is, which is a laugh has got this organic wave to it. And then as it dies down, it slowly dissipates. This killed all that. It made it just feel very sterile and awful. So there's parts of a comedy that you need, like a fork clanging on a plate or a glass. You know, you need to hear. Yeah, you need to hear that you're in a real room or your brain goes, this is fake. It feels like an old I Love Lucy episode with the canned laughter where you hear the same laugh 10 times in a row. So you're telling me if my teeth were perfectly straight in a line, people mm-hmm. would feel like it was not authentic enough. Yeah, the, well, I mean, that actually is a thing. It used to be. Now it's not so much because you have, more people are getting their teeth whitened. And they get, right. But they used to kind of say, you look like a used car salesman with your perfect teeth and your whatever, or you're, you're a, if you're a megachurch pastor, and you have that, like, you look too yeah. put on. See, but I don't have the other things going for me looks wise. Yeah. So I think I would offset it. I think if my teeth are perfect, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's still a, a below average looking guy. He just is not getting right. food stuck in his teeth. He's now. just, he's not, yeah, he's right. not a monster now. Right. <laughs> I had, uh, I've got a friend who's a comedian in California, Dustin Nickerson, and he had a mole on his forehead for like the first three or four years that I knew him. And he, I guess he had it all through teenage years too. And it was like a, a mole just right, you know, yeah. to the left, right above his eye. And that was just a thing. And he just, I was like, did this bother, does it bother you? And he's like, no, I don't, whatever. It's California. So yeah, it, you know. And then one day he just got it removed. He found a guy to remove it, I guess. And uh, I always tease him though. I'm always like, I miss the mole. You're not <laughs> funny anymore without them. Like it made you, yeah. I liked the monster that you were. You were funny. Yeah. And you were authentic, and now you get this. You went Hollywood, pulled this dumb mole off, and <laughs> you now Hollywood. You don't make me laugh at all now. No, I just tease him. But funny. okay, so you're talking about Dennis. So this story, I almost I didn't post it on my Insta today, but I was thinking about it, uh, and I screenshotted it. It's from People Magazine. It says dentist who removed tooth while on a hoverboard, sentenced to twelve years behind bars. <laughs> so this clown. <laughs> Wow. And then there was other things he was doing, like he was billing for, you know, he was putting people under, almost killing them with, I mean, he did a lot of bad stuff. And evidently he was filming a lot of this with his own cell phone. So the cell phone videos that he had on his cell phone and his assistant's cell phone is what ended up getting him convicted. But there's a video of him evidently that they used in trial where he's going back and forth on a hoverboard. You know, those little two wheel electric deals, not like the one from Back to the Future. That'd be more impressive (laughs) if that was a real thing. But he's just kind of waggling on that thing and pulls a tooth and then waggles into the hallway and puts his hands up with the tooth. In his, and it's like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, that's that's wow. happening. So, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind, I don't know what you do with the dentist, but I, I like to be out. Like, I'm not out, out. I'm on the gas, though. Right. So, for all I know, my dude's on a hoverboard, too. I'm on the gas. That's- yeah. <laughs> well, I told you what my guy said the last time I had a root canal. And he said, it was so funny. He said, now, the gas has levels of you know, intensity. Right. So I'm going to start you at June Carter cash, but if you need it, I can crank you up to Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, because I think the danger with the gas is not that you, uh, you know, you die. It's that you throw up, Uh. which is not what you want when somebody's got tools in your mouth. You start retching. So he was just like, let me know if you start feeling nauseous. And I said, crank it up to Johnny because I can, I know I can tolerate it. And I just, I don't want to be there because I don't like the needles. It's not the drilling. It's when they numb you. Yeah, they don't bother So when me. they do the gas, I don't feel the needles for some reason. I'm like, uh, and I feel like, I feel like vibrating. Like I feel my 
blood pulsing to the ends of my fingers and back wow. when I'm on the when I'm on the nitrous. Wow. And it's the closest thing. I mean, I've never been high, but that's it. That's the closest thing that I can. I can really feel like I'm floating above the chair sometimes wow. when I'm on the gas. Do you hear stuff? Is somebody? Sick? I hear drills, <laughs> and I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I hear people call me Snaggletooth, which hurts. <laughs> it does hurt. <laughs> yeah. No. It's funny. Well, I also, uh, I went and got my truck painted. Yeah. Again, it was, it was, it's, so guys, I drive. And I don't see you do this. Like you feel it, like you have to like downplay I'm it. I'm just saying, there's a reason I got it painted. Guys, it's not a new truck. I drive. Even it, today when you're talking about your stereo, you're like, it was a $25 bracket for my new stereo. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't care, dude. Spend your money on whatever you want. Buy a gold-plated stereo. But I, I didn't. I bought it. It was a $35 so stereo. Anyway. You can't hide money. My, my truck is a 1996 Toyota T100. Johnny, it's like a collector's item. People it's love. Not. It's not. They only made them from like 90, I think, 4 to 98. How many of them do they make? I don't know. <laughs> Several million. <laughs> <laughs> but people do no, they love it. Okay, I don't care if they love it. I love it. How about that? Thank you. That's my region. And so I, I have this truck, and it's a white truck, and you had it repainted. What color? White. Interesting. Interesting. Why is that? I don't know. I was so, just trying to. <laughs> I was trying. It was going to cost twice as much to change colors. So I found a guy on like Facebook, and I got a really really good deal on it. It was like less than half of Mako. Like you can't even. So, Mm-mm. anywho, had a little had a little dent in the back that he fixed as well, but it was rusting. I was getting superficial rust on it. It's going to stop being superficial. Superficial Johnny. is a good word because I feel like you're becoming superficial. You think so? No, I don't care. Have your <laughs> truck; it's fine. And so yeah, I got the truck painted. Yeah. And so then I had this old stereo in there that's never worked. So I decided to buy a stereo. So yeah, that was the I put put it in this morning, and uh, myself, Johnny, I wired it in myself. <sighs> And it didn't work. No. So it wasn't working at all. But then you figured it out. Well, I prayed. YouTube videos. There's a YouTube video for everything. It's funny. I went pretty low for a minute. Like, this is, like, you ever get that feeling like, I suck at everything. I can't even wire a simple stereo. It's no wonder that. And you start looking at all the other things you fail at in life, you know? And so I kind of, you know, was like frustrated and I'd rewired it two or three times and just put it all back together just to leave it not working and just, yeah. you know, ride off into my depressing sunset from that project. And then I realized the clock in the truck wasn't on either. And then I realized the dome light wasn't on either. And then I realized somehow, somehow the fuse went out Yeah. at the same time I installed this. And when I put a new fuse in, Johnny, it all started working. Now, guys. Isn't that just like our truck? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> How great is my Dodge? Oh, uh, that's this is your new joke, isn't it? I don't know, John. Yeah, I may I may do that tonight actually, and we'll see. It's Je- I'm doing a show tonight with Jeff Allen, so he'll have a there'll be a church kind of a churchy crowd there, so that'll be interesting to oh yeah see. I didn't have the nerve to do it in at John Chris joke, but even though it would have probably killed there because it's a lot of church folks there too. But I just thought, eh, I don't know. I felt pensive. Well, I didn't have my guitar with me, so I just had to like sing uh, it a cappella. So it would have been weird, dude. Never leave without. Just break into song. Take your guitar. Hey, right man. now, I just like to take a minute and break into song in the middle of this comedy. Well, you set. are a singer. What's the big deal? Well, but with a guitar, you feel like you have it's a safety mm-hmm. net. You feel like you yeah. can kind of let's unpack that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hide behind? Oh, what is it that you're wooden instruments? Why do you need? You said your dad was very, uh, you know, he was very kind of a, an, a, a, an aloof man. You know, like almost like a wooden. Would you would you say that his 
His countenance was wooden. Did you say he was a little out of tune? Do you think that when you're playing the guitar, you're hiding behind the spirit of your father? Oh, my goodness. Are you trying to undo the damage? Are you hoping that he'll... Now, begin weeping. (laughs) It's true. It's true. That'll be our time. That's $300. (laughs) (laughs) She'll take care of you out front. I was walking with Sadie yesterday, and she said she was talking about relationships i'll put it that way and she said something but she said this now several times i don't know who she's hearing this from but whoever it is out there stop it oh no and so she said well but you know that's probably something weird to talk to your dad about and i said why you know because we talk about everything but she's getting this she shouldn't talk to her dad about she's hearing it from even though she's talking to me about it well she's hearing from probably people that she knows that you're like you're supposed to not tell everything to your family but well she tells everything to her mom come down on you (laughs) That was air quotes. Matt by the way. Foley, yeah. yeah. So no, it was like, but she's talking to me about it, and then yeah. she's like, ah, oh, maybe. I said, I said, hey, I said, you know, your dad's like relationship counselor, right? You know, and you know what my daughter, my twelve-year-old daughter, said to me. What? <laughs> <laughs> I told Laura this. She goes, yeah, but you're not licensed. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, she's pulling your papers. What do you even know? That's and weird. I ended up like trying to make a case for why I'm qualified. That's I amazing. Like, I don't. Well, it's like I had a friend who, uh, his name was uh, Dix Archer, and his, we called him Dr. Archer, and he, he had an MDiv, and he had psychology degree, uh, and uh, he, had doc- he had honorary doctorates from a couple of universities, and then they were like, but whenever his daughters, he would say, this is my father, Dr. Archer, and they go, oh, he's a, he's a doctor? Yeah, and then she'd say, she said one time, he's not the kind of doctor that helps people. That's what she said. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I'm uh, not licensed, apparently. So, wow. Uh, well, plus, if you have a counselor for, it's like, uh, what about Bob? Yeah. When the daughter's arguing with Richard Dreyfuss' character, and he was just like, he pulls out the puppet <laughs> that looks like him. I know you don't talk to your father, but you'll talk to me. And like he starts doing therapy tricks on her. Yeah. So she feels more, she starts rolling her eyes because it's like, she knows that this is, he's now treating her like a, like a patient yeah. instead of, so I think that may be, again, I'm not, I don't have children, but I'm just saying like, that would make me less like, be like well, I am a counselor. I'd be like, yeah, but I don't need that right now. I just yeah. wanted to, <laughs> we're just need to chill. Well, again, the context was not that I'm giving her advice about anything she's saying. The context yeah. is whether or not we should she can talk come to you about for it. Right. right. And yeah. I was just saying, look, not only am I your dad, but it's not like I'm not thinking about relationships at all. I mean, and if, if she were to ask for some counsel, there's a chance it might actually be helpful. I mean, I don't know, Johnny. I'm, I don't, again, I don't, I don't pastor at home. I really try not to. I don't like, and there's the problem. My goodness. That's why we're losing a generation. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Because you refused to pastor your home. Oh, man. I'll never forget, like, year one of marriage when I tried to act like a pastor to my wife one time. That, mm. that It only took one or two times to be like, nope, this is not. One thing I remember is, like, uh, you want to be you want to be a celebrity in your own home. In other, and I think the idea behind it was, yeah. like, be, be somebody that your kids are excited to see. Right. Rather than just like, oh, who who is that? Well, what I see is someone with a red carpet who doesn't yeah, talk it's like, to your kids. Like, exactly. Uh, security. You're not treating me like a celebrity. Like, it's so <laughs> the extreme of that viewpoint. <laughs> Don't be a celebrity here. Be a celebrity in your own home, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Where's my bottle service? <laughs> you call this Crystal? <laughs> I think it has been helpful. I actually thought about this today, like out of all the things I feel out of control with that I'm, I'm coming to grips with, you know, 
and it, it, I think every parent feels out of control with their kids to some extent, but this is the, the very specific thing now that I have been able to give to God in a way, because I didn't realize how much probably of an idol that it really was for me is that I am not in control of how Sadie will remember me and what I did. Yeah. I'm not in control of the narrative of what kind of dad I was. Yeah, yeah. And so I really... Well, that's the old Anne Lamott quote from one of her books about, she said, if people want me to write better about them, then they should have behaved better. <laughs> so she doesn't pull punches when she's talking about yeah. people from her past. Yeah, She's like, people should have behaved better. So it's like that thing of nobody wants to be... Remember the old Mommy Dearest where Joan Crawford, the famous actress, yeah. she had the daughter who... You know, by then their relationship was so damaged and she got written out of her own mom's will and she died this bitter woman. And so Christina Crawford wrote this book called Mommy Dearest. It became a miniseries. It was this gigantic yeah. thing, expose. No wire hangers. No wire hangers. Yeah. I mean, it was that she was an abusive person and in the public eye, she was one thing. So everybody has that nightmare scenario of like, I'm doing damage and my legacy is tainted. I mean, you don't think that like she's going to whatever expose some dark thing, but just the idea, like you say, of. I don't get to control how I'm remembered and it's like it's a it's yeah. a painful to think about because we especially now it's like everybody's managing their brand yeah nonstop. We've all been given a brand called a Facebook page and a Twitter page. And so we were even more cognizant of how we're being viewed by other people and yeah. how to manage that and we've a little we have a, we talked about that today. There's a point system. Like <laughs> right. we likes and and comments are points. Yeah. So it's, it even plays into like people who don't even like social media, but they, we made a sport of it. So now guys are like, well, look, if I'm going to get points, let's go. <laughs> We've even drawn in those people. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And if you get enough points, you can make money. Well, do you think you're more cognizant of it too? Because you write, you've written stories or you've written books with people who've had like extreme uh, damage in their past and they're writing about people. And so you're more aware of like this stuff is real and it happens. And like even people who meant well can do real damage. I think being well-intentioned is sort of most people's baseline gospel in functional American Christianity. In my opinion, yeah. they think, well, I mean, well, and I have a good heart. Like you hear those kinds of things. Oh, you didn't mean to do that. Like, and I think it's, it's kind of, it, there, there's not a real embracing of actual brokenness or an embracing of responsibility, though you meant well. Yeah. Because you don't have to mean, and this goes into the whole conversation about racism and all kinds of things. You don't. You don't have to mean something negative in order for negative things to happen. You should expect that you're broken, and that's actually the the beginning point of the right path. Um, doesn't mean you live in condemnation and guilt all the time either. Like there's that, that's where people think that goes. It's like, actually, no, it's just the, it's just literally the basis, the foundation right. and the basis of the gospel itself is that I am, I can't manage my brokenness and the death within me without, without one higher than me, more powerful enacting grace and, and strength upon me. And then in humility, I continually respond to that. So, when I lost that illusion, I think that's, that you're you're right. I don't think it was from writing for people as much as like I, I would have entered. I entered parenthood more assuming not not that I was going to screw her up or I had it in danger. I was entering parenthood assuming I could be the best. Yeah, like I can not do what all those other broken people did. Yeah, and I can make it where she. When you're a youth pastor too, 
oh, for years. Yeah. And so you would see parents just make gigantic mistakes. And, and I'm the a, adult they all come to, mm-hmm. right? Because I get to Even be, before you had kids, you were yeah. like this mentor. So you were like, well, look, here's what you got to do to fix this. Yeah. And then now you're way more probably empathetic to those some of those parents. Absolutely. And I was, their soft, I was everybody's soft place to land. I would tell them the truth and all those things. But, yeah. you know. And then you just you just come to this conclusion like, hey, you know, when I, when I discover, oh, I'm just as broken as everybody else, okay, because then it was pride that kept me from that, and it's offensive to people to say that, mm-hmm. who whose history is wrapped up in mine, you know, because they don't see any damage done, and that's awesome. I'm glad, you know, they don't feel damage or whatever. But it's like, yeah, guys, you know, absolutely brokenness is. I heard somebody say it this week, like, <laughs> you know, there there are. Um, I guess acceptable sin, you know, kind of things like pride. You know, these are these are the respectable. That's what they said. The respectable sins, you mm-hmm. know. So my pride and my my haughtiness, my lack of understanding and lack of teachability. Though I was very falsely humble and apparent, you know, a- appearing to be something different, not trying to do any of that. Well intentioned the whole time, you know. Still unable to, you know, really become who I need to be. That I'm I'm learning to be free from the fear of people in, in a negative way, to be free from, I mean, I told you at lunch today, like, I, you know, I'm literally, an, I'm becoming more comfortable with being a nobody, like yeah. who I am in Christ and all those things. Comfortable is wrong word. I mean, it sucks. You keep dying, you know, to things, yet you feel more alive because that thing that's dragging you down is dying. So I think back to the parenting part of it, I just realize I'm out of control and I think, in fact, I have a term I say now I, to the staff all the time. I was like, guys, I call serenity prayer on that one. Like, I'm calling serenity prayer on this. I'm not in control of that. In the old days, I would have tried to control with good communication, good leadership, good systems, everything. I didn't know what I was doing. And it produced some good things. I do think you need to be engaged and, and a good steward. But you got to know where, like, hey, I refuse to put energy into this unhealthy place. Mm-hmm anymore and and i'm not you know it, it's almost like pastors engage in a lot of in, in church staffs engage in a lot of codependency which is a very confusing term to most people it just means like like i need you to need me mm-hmm. like I, I need i'm gonna let you continue down your unhealthy path so that you would need me to help you in your unhealthy path and a lot of church like right now i'm going hey happy to be there for all things but all I'm doing is hurting you worse, and we're not being effective. Yeah, I mean, so, I think, didn't uh, Todd Wagner talk about that, Pastor Watermark, about how, like, he won't take the deal. Like, there's an unwritten deal that pastors make with their congregations that say, I won't preach about hard things. You'll come. You'll give 10% of your yeah. income. We'll all get our little Jesus points for the day, yeah. and I won't challenge you in that thing that you need to be challenged in, but we'll just make a the deal. You'll make me famous and rich. Yeah. I'll, we'll all go, it'll like go along and get along. He says, yeah, his big thing. Is, and then he says, and we'll all keep telling each other we're doing what Jesus wants. Yeah. That, that, that's his big He's like, I'm not closing. taking that deal. It's a bad deal. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's, and it sounds super judgy, but that if you really look at scripture, which is what you're supposed to do, you know, like, okay, it, it is a bad deal and it produces, I think, and that's where I had to come to reality in my own life. Like, Hey, I did not help people have a depth of foundation to the level that my job was to do as a discipler and to help them know that was their job too, because we didn't know that, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think with, with Sadie, (laughs) I just, I still feel very out of control with it. You know, what I try to do is be broken 
and I use that word. I try to not let her think. And I still feel like it happens. Like, I think when I pray sometimes, and this is just the case, I don't know. I think I've just been praying out loud so long. Even when I was in youth group, you know, and, and even in some small groups I'm in, sometimes I can tell like men will say even to me, like, oh, you pray because I don't know how to do it like you do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then I feel really fake and false. Like, well, there's no, like, thing I'm doing that's any. But right. it's almost like I'm so <clears throat> trained with the words. <clears throat> and they're real to me. That's just how, I mean, I guess that's how I talk in real life all the time, you know. But I feel that with Sadie sometimes. Like, I feel that she's hesitant, I think, to pray sometimes. Or she's not really dialed into what I'm praying when yeah. we pray at night or whatever. Because, and then I'll go, man, am I, am I giving her some facade that I don't know I'm giving? Right, you know, that I'm, there's I'm, a, uh, almost like a liturgy to how you should be. Is there, yeah, is there, is there a blind spot, you know, that, that, cause now I'm very aware I have blind spots. It's just whether or not someone around me in the gospel is going to, sh- you know, point them out. I mean, they're there. <laughs> mm-hmm. No longer think if I have them, like, nope, I have them. They're going to continue to be there. And that's the, the life in Christ that's joyful is continually being shown that light and, and growing and those things not controlling you anymore. So I don't know, but I'm out of control. I don't get to decide when she's 30 <clears throat> and looks back, you know, I don't get to decide what she's going to think. So I actually pray about that, you know, like pray very verbose prayers, Johnny, about that. No, but I, I pray, you know, God, I mean, Hey, all favor. And that's something I'm learning. All favor really is from you. You know, I don't need to go earn it from people. Yeah. I need to, I need to receive it from you. And really I need to worry about, am I being, I know I'm pleasing to you through Christ in terms of salvation, but now is my life in, in, in my relationship with you, not for life and death. Life is already yeah. given, but for the relationship. In fact, that's one thing we've studied the last couple of weeks. You know, repentance for a believer is not for salvation. Repentance is for a restoration of fellowship, or that's a churchy word, of of interaction with someone. So now when I apologize to my wife, it's not because we were getting a divorce. You know, yeah. I apologize to my wife because it restores the conversational place for us where we're in the in the right relationship between one another which is what repentance now as a believer is it's not unto salvation it's unto fellowship with you know restore with god so am i being pleasing to him mm-hmm. and then i can trust him to give me favor with people or not and then i could be okay with yeah. that you know so well and some of it's like you know you're not even just saying don't let me not don't let me make enough so many mistakes that she looks on me bad you're almost saying let her learn the grace that I'm trying to walk in so that she treats me with that same grace. In other words, like when I was, when I was in my thirties, twenties and thirties, I would look at my dad and our relationship, uh, was so disjointed and estranged. And then he passed away when I was 19 and then I forgave him in probably my mid twenties, late twenties, but I still in my thirties probably looked on him like someone who's like, I could have done better. I could have whatever. He blew it. And I would say those things. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I had to, you know, and I would almost paint him like a monster uh, for just being not there and all the all the different balls that were dropped and just not really parenting. Yeah. Now, I think I'm in my 40s. I think I have more empathy for the tools that he was given and yeah. not given. And I'm like, well... What did he grow up with as a parent? What was his, you know what I'm saying? What was his example? Uh, What happened in his life? What tragedies? You know, my mom 
uh, and and dad lost a son right before I was born. Like right before she became pregnant with me, they lost a child. Yeah. And that really affected him and how he viewed God and he was angry with God. And I think it made him kind of cut off and not want to um, emotionally open up to another child because mm-hmm. he thought, you know, and I think he just threw himself into bitterness and it might not have gone that way had that not all happened. So I just look at it differently. I think that should be the goal is not like, don't let me ever screw up. It's like, give Sadie perspective on what really went down and the reasons for it and then have a proper a proper view of what happened rather than just like only emotional. Sure. He was there. He missed my game. He's a jerk. He was there at every game. He's the best. Like it's never that parents make yeah. horrible mistakes without even meaning to. And you need your child to go, I'm going to cut you some slack at some point. And above all, I think even more than how she cuts me slack, I want her to know that this is what real Christianity is, is this, I'm not doing this to get an opinion one way or another from her. Yeah. Yeah. Her opinion of me should not be the, the central thing. I want to model for her what is the central thing. And the only way to do that is to be real. Um, but that's so she then, because here's what I know. People gravitate to legalism. They they rail against it, especially mm-hmm. in young adulthood. People, oh my gosh, you know, all the, you think about that deconstruction, those, that period of deconstruction that seems to happen in that late teen to late twenties yeah. for everybody. It's a necessary, in some ways, part of, of a transition from adolescence to adulthood. And, and there has to be a testing of the value systems and other things, um, that your parents had and, and you have to decide. In fact, we just wrote a book with David and Wilson on parenting and they talk about, I forget the exact metaphor. We talk about, um, that basically there's all these things that you're giving your kids and they will get to decide I think it's blocks, actually. Like, when they go to build their house, they will decide which block to use and which one they don't want to use. They're Mm. not going to use all of them, but they're probably not going to use all of them. What you want to make sure is the important ones are ones that they pick up because they were real to you and, and, you know, made a difference in your life. I mean, so for me, I just always look at Sadie and go, as a preacher's kid, and my dad was very relational. You know, I have had the opposite experience of you, and it's it's painful. And you knew my dad, you know. I mean, I got a, yeah. I, I looked at this last night. I was in the office last night, you know, and over there I keep a picture of my mom and dad on their wedding day. And my dad used to sneak in to my office. Sneak is a funny word. Sunday mornings when he'd come to church, yeah. he would he would always come back here. Some of that was when he was sick. He would, he would, it was hard for him to sit down a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needed to get up for circulation purposes. But he would come in and he'd get on to me for leaving my office unlocked and, and it wasn't secure and all this right. stuff, you know. <clears throat> and, um, but he let, he wrote me just, he would do this kind of stuff all the time, but he wrote me a note on my Tennessee stationery. And dad had horrible handwriting. Like, it's mine's horrible too. His is horrible in a whole different way. It looks like a doctor's. It's all caps. And it just says, your dad loves you and is so proud of you. Uh-huh. He just left that just as a normal day. Like it wasn't, wasn't my birthday. It wasn't a, yeah. you know, and that note lived on my desk for so long. And now I've got it preserved in this frame, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I do, I, I find myself looking at it. And my dad was far from a perfect person in right. any of those things. But I look at that gift of, of that. It's not just affirmation, but like it was, it's grace. It's like, it was, look, it doesn't really matter what you do. Mm-hmm. You have my, you have my approval, mm-hmm. you know, because of this love that we have. And so 
if Sadie has that, I think out of all the stuff that I may have wrestled with with my dad on things over life, like that really has colored all of it. You know, like that that wins in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a guy, but again, I don't want to be. I used to want to be the dad. I would love for Sadie to stand up and say, I'm the perfect dad, you know. And I'm just like, man, if she really thought that, I'm setting her up for disaster. Like, much less if she felt like she had to say that. But if she actually really thought that, I'm setting her up for a lot of undue pain. It'd be yeah. better It'd be better if she knew I loved her deeply and that, it, that I was a broken guy, uh, broken in my own way, mm-hmm. that allowed that to be seen and allowed Jesus to work on it with him and with his people. Yeah. And then, you know, she doesn't have to run from her own brokenness. I think she knows that you're not. Well, part of it's because I, uh, I've been leaving her some notes, um, <laughs> uh, on her desk that say your dad is jacked up. Your dad's pretty messed up. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's a list. Sometimes it's just <laughs> right. Unflattering right. photos, a link from to a old, website. Ha- old hairstyles. Oh my goodness. Uh, old recordings of us singing together oh. that were a little bit needed some auto tune. She's like, oh, okay. All right. She, it's giving her a more well-rounded viewpoint. Listen, view. I could probably make my stomach churn thinking about me singing lead on old Scarlet <laughs> Thread stuff. If I wanted to, like my shame is deep. My courage was great. My shame though, oh, for how beautiful. bad it was. I like how it's you. pretty deep. Well, you were talking about the legalism thing. I, I do. I was thinking about this yesterday. I think we have a generation of people who have spent their decades learning to like when you think of a conservative christian person or just a christian person in general like at this point the way society and twitter and everybody has painted it's not a you don't think of a pleasant person you think of a judgmental person you think of someone who's got rules that you have to abide by and if you don't abide by in other words it's an us versus them yeah. you're in or you're out mindset and what I think has happened, though, is the generation that has rejected that, there's still a hole in them that, like you said, because the way they learned about the gospel wrong, they, what they're, they're filling the hole with other rules. Yeah. Like, so, in other words, Twitter is full of us versus them. There's no nuance on social media, mm-hmm. and it's the fruit of... These same people who said I was rejected by this because I wasn't good enough or because I didn't follow rule X, but then that same person will be like, you did a bad thing that I found 20 years ago that you said, and I've decided now that you're a garbage person. I've seen that so much on Twitter. This is a garbage person. In other words, throw him away mm-hmm. and you know, wash your hands of them. So it's like they're mad that the church did not treat them with a grace mindset. Or they didn't see it lived out. And now, it's almost like when a, an abuser goes on to abuse other people, and it doesn't make any sense in your mind. You see somebody who's like molested as a kid, and you're like, they are this much more likely to go on and molest somebody. You're like, how could that be? Yeah. This is how. It's like we fall into those patterns of rules and canceling people. Like, cancel culture is so antithetical to what we should be doing. And we know it's wrong. But it makes us feel that sense, like we long for justice and we feel like we get to be the judge and jury. And it's, it gives us this little high. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from that broken mindset of never correcting those things. Uh, we never correct that legalism that gives us that little like bit of uh, that little dopamine rush from being in the right. And yeah. you're I'm in and you're out. 
And we, if we never fix that mindset, what happens is what we have, which is this black and white view. There's no room for you to have anything different than me. And only people around me who speak exactly like me get to be in my tribe. And I'll mute you if you think differently. Yeah. So I may still be your friend on the surface. You don't even know in my friends list that you're not being, your posts aren't even being seen by me because I only have this tornado of exact thought that lines up with me in the mix. And we just don't realize like what we're building. We're, we're evolving into weirdos. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I think I know. I think I have plenty of people who've stopped listening to us. Maybe. And, and they're my friends. Yeah. But they've decided like I crossed some, Right. plane we, of of we, thought yeah that we're they, i said a buzzword they didn't like right we're we're too we're too much and you know and that's okay i mean i'm not saying everybody's i mean actually i would say everybody everyone not, needs to listen to this every, that's, right. that's right but i'm saying like the idea that everyone needs to be your best friend and be in your whatever yeah. like that that needs to die that's that's not necessarily real but the idea of like you should examine your own motives when you're saying i was uncomfortable with what you said or you said a buzzword that I've let's for instance, like we've been called uh, progressive or like a couple people we had, we challenged the status quo about, uh, you know, systemic racism. So someone now wants to throw us in with uh, socialism, Marxism, whatever. Right. Well, that's obviously wrong. That's not how we feel, but it's just this easy way to now put us in a box and now discount. You can throw it all out then. Yep. And, um, but I'm saying like, that's what, that's what we did in the church in the 90s and early 2000s. We'd go, what do you watch? What is your music? What is your whatever? Yeah. And I learned to check those boxes off in people. Now we're just doing the same thing now, outside but, of church. Yeah, it's like other yep. secular culture is now learning to be as judgmental as they accuse the church of being. Well, that's the, that was the thing, though. The church was being as judgmental as the secular culture. They brought it in. Yeah. It was a secularization of the church that was shrouded as a holiness movement. Mm-hmm. That That's what's crazy. And when you bring in, it's funny. We're, I'm, I'm speaking on Amos this week, and it's that's about, not a real book. John. It's about <laughs> it's you about justice up. and righteousness are the two big things. Let justice and righteousness flow like a river. You yeah. know, it's, and and I talk about what biblical justice is and what it means for us now, and it almost always has to do with correcting something for another person. Mm-hmm. And and so it and I was like, guys, there is a kind of justice that's God's justice that has to do with punishing what's wrong. And that kind of justice does not involve us, mm-hmm. not from a Christian. I'm not talking about um, the justice system where we, you know, I'm not talking about in the government. I'm talking about like as believers in the heart of what we do, the justice that judges people unto punishment is only God's. That's what the gospel brings us to. It's Old and New Testament, but it's only God's to do that. It doesn't mean we can't call things right and wrong, <clears throat> any of those things, but we don't get that anymore because the justice that we deserved for us and, and what because we believe that we are also at great fault that there is atrocity there's an atrocity of sin within us not just a small thing there is an atrocity worth the crucifixion of the son of god that's for me and so that's how bad i mean i, I am the the war criminal in that respect and so if i believe i have been redeemed and forgiven then i have now not just lost the right, like I'm supposed to think it right to no longer be the one who has any leg to stand upon in order to 
to punish other war criminals. <laughs> we would never take a war criminal who was out of jail and put them on the tribunal to put other people in jail. Yeah. It just wouldn't make sense. So, but the ju- the justice that we're supposed to pursue is the justice for others now, uh, specifically in the book of Amos for the poor and the marginalized. That was what God was most upset with them about was is they had become through idolatry – um, they did not think it odd to cheat the poor or, or, or to exact unfair taxes upon them or to, to ignore the needs of those in society that God called them to take care of. Yeah. So it's not – that is the definition of justice and then I talk about righteousness too. But it's interesting you talked about um, this, this uh, I guess, middle ground thought processes being lumped in with far left. This is Martin Luther King and he said this. 1967, I think, in a speech. He said, It is a sad fact that because of comfort, complacency, a morbid fear of communism, which is the Marxism you're talking about, and our proneness to adjust to injustice, the Western nations that initiated so much of the revolutionary spirit of the modern world have now become the arch anti-revolutionaries. This has driven many to feel that only Marxism has a revolutionary spirit. Therefore, and this dude, this is unbelievable. Communism is a judgment against our failure to make democracy real and follow through on the revolutions that we initiated. Hmm. Our only hope today lies in our ability to recapture the revolutionary spirit and go out into a sometimes hostile world declaring eternal hostility to poverty, racism, and militarism. It was actually a speech against the Vietnam War that this comes from. Yeah, <clears throat> But I really believe... As much as communism is a judgment against our failure to make democracy realized in the way that it is in our constitution. Which should be for everybody. That's the point is like, right. yeah, somebody, it's like that old thing that we said before when somebody says, you know, if America is like a Denny's that serves uh, equality, some of us are like, I've had a great experience and some of us need to speak to a manager. Well, the point is like yeah. there are different Americas. And so the people who are having a different experience are speaking up and saying, we need you who are having an okay experience right. to still feel a hostility, like Martin Luther King said, towards uh, inequality. Feel a real – so when somebody – why is that guy being so hot? But instead, we're uncomfortable with the hostility. Right. That's all we see. They're just, they're just making a scene in our Denny's. Right. <laughs> we want you yeah, to pipe we're down. Like, we're having man, a good we're here, meal. I'm here with my family. What are you yeah. doing? And we're, we're mad at the hostility rather than being mad at the racism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's something, you know, like you said, I mean, uh, people end up defending, uh, they, they're so, I guess, offended by the, or insulted by the idea that America may have racism in it. They end up inadvertently defending racism as if they're defending America. Yeah. And, and these are, this is something Reggie and I've been talking about, like all of this thought about whether or not it's systemic or not, or whether or not we just need a heart change. And I, I think for me, the statement that's come out, uh, that I'm, I'm writing about now that's really made sense for me is that, look, hearts absolutely – and that's, that's, that's my business is seeing people's hearts you know, have an opportunity to change. So I understand that. And business is good. <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that's, that's, that's the lane I'm in. I'm not an activist. Yeah, I'm not yeah. – you know, I get it. So, but the flip side is, is we have to remember the system does not have a heart. Mm-hmm. So you can't treat it the same as you're treating individual, you know, transformation. 
Like you got to have, there is a both and there. So absolutely, we can sit around and say we need hearts to change. Not, I'm not sitting around doing that. That's right. the active work of my life and of all believers, I believe, is what Scripture says. But we can't say, well, because I'm doing that, therefore I don't have to address the system. I'm doing all that's mm-hmm. needed. The system doesn't have a heart. It's, gonna, it's an inanimate it's object. It's a machine, yeah. And we're defending it like it's alive. Well, and the thing, too, of like the system is broken, it's like, or is the system doing what it was built to do? Like, it right. was built with these elements in it, and now the machine rolls on, and it rolls over people, and then the people who are being rolled over are going, this is unfair, and we're like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. It's like, that's where I can understand why there would be hostility. It's like, yeah, it's doing what it was supposed to do. But man, it, again, that's, it feels circular sometimes. We, but yeah, we get lumped in. If you say, like he said, it, it's, it's like this pejorative. And that was like McCarthy era, right? Where it was like, all you had to do was say somebody was the red menace. There's a little, little post, but yeah, the fear of communism. Yes. That comes out of McCarthyism. That was also in the, in the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I saw, a, I found a poster uh, in Alabama. In fact, I, I just need to pull it up real fast and read it to you. This would be worth us tweeting. Actually, I found a poster. Give me two seconds and I'll pull it up. An actual poster put on 1930s mm-hmm. Alabama. And it says, Negroes beware. Do not attend communist meetings. Paid organizers for the communists are only trying to get Negroes in trouble. Alabama is a good place for good Negroes to live in, but it is a bad place for Negroes who believe in social equality. The Ku Klux Klan is watching you. Take heed. Tell the communist leaders to leave. Report all communist meetings to the Ku Klux Klan. And then there's post office box 651 Birmingham, Alabama. The next page says communism will not be tolerated. It's got little guys on horseback with sheets on. It says Ku Klux Klan rides again. So that's a legit 1930s poster yeah. with the same kind of thought process of what they used as the straw man to mm-hmm. support. Now, again, they're overtly supporting racism and saying that that equality, but the, the social equality, by the way, in this. But they're saying you're what you're running into the arms of is even worse than this. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, you, you got it good right they now. They made a boogeyman out of communism when they want to chase you down on horseback and kill you and yeah. lynch you. They're threatening you yeah. to, they're, they're saying your life will, is okay probably right now and whatever they're defining that as. Yeah. But we're going to enact violence on you if you, right. but, but they're doing it, but here's, here's how they do it. They're finding nobility in an evil adversary. Mm-hmm. So it's noble to fight an evil adversary in it like it cancels out the evil of your own right process and so we're not going to look at the fact that we're the ku klux klan we're going to look at the evil and 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 it's also tied then to the fear that it's going to take away america it's it's even for black people they're using that fear these people that you think are your friends mm-hmm. and, and 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 i don't know if they were actually communist meetings that's what's crazy it's just fear-mongering right it's just saying anybody who believes in social equality is a marxist yeah it's the same kind of thing guys and there are marxists in america and we disagree with them right you know i'm saying like and i'm not saying that they're not there but do they comprise the whole of every pastor out there who is becoming a quote unquote and i I hear this all the time they're just becoming social justice warriors or Mm -hmm. social justicians i've heard that term lately justicians yeah okay and so it's a way for you to lump me 
because I read the book of Amos <laughs> to lump me into the communists, basically. And then I'm not, guys, we're not making a big jump here. Like, there's a lot of people who are, who are saying, right. I mean, there was a huge movement there of people, all pastors who are preaching about this right now. Number one, they're aligned with Black Lives Matter, their organization, which, I mean, we can't be any more explicit about saying, I do not align Black Lives Matter, the organization, I think that they often, if you look at their inception, they started as a protest against... Um, it started from the killing of Trayvon Martin correct. as their well, inception. that's not what they said. On their website, it says they started after the jury's deliberation, the, the, the decision of the court. Right. They protested, and by the way, the, I believe that, don't quote me on this, but the, the jury was, was pretty diverse, mm-hmm. and... And nobody contested how the trial was conducted. They didn't cry mistrial. They mm-hmm. just said, we don't agree with the outcome. Mm-hmm. And that is a dangerous perversion of justice because the bottom line is, is what you're saying is, is no matter what the details of the trial are, because at the bottom line is, is, is what they concluded was they didn't say the man's innocent. They said, we do not have enough evidence according to the court system to, because no one was right, there to, put this man in jail. to say whether to convict him. And even the judge tried to offer a, a lesser. He, he offered, he put manslaughter on the table at the last second. Even the judge was trying. And Eric Holder, the attorney general, a black man himself for Barack Obama, they did an entire Justice Department mm-hmm. um, evaluation of the trial. They concluded. They concluded that there was the trial was was legit. Okay, mm-hmm. so what we're saying is we can say I don't I don't like the outcome, but in a court of law, in a way that's not an Alabama court of law in 1930s, in a place where I mean even even you know the federal government that was a pretty liberal federal government at the time is 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 doing a a, a pretty thorough oversight of this process. Yeah, we're saying hey for this one we're not saying it doesn't happen. We're not we're saying for this particular one. There's not enough evidence to have the outcome that you want. They started saying we want a different, we want outcomes, and and asking for outcomes is not justice. What justice is is asking for equity within the the, the, process, the, the process of finding the outcome. Right. So the outcome has to be what it is, or justice is not blind. Right. Right. So so if there would have been inequity in the process, then yeah, we could say that's yeah. a, that's you show me the tainted jury pool. Show me go. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Show me the way that, that somebody had a, a, you know, a, a confession taken that wasn't real, right. all those kinds of things. So again, I'm not trying to jump into whether or not that really happened. I'm not, it's not about the Trayvon Martin case itself. Just saying that black lives matter, the organization began specifically stating in their bylaws on their website, Hey, we started in protest of that outcome. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, again, that's that's not a search for justice, you know, as much as it is. And, and, and I do. Th- so I'm, I'm saying like, but the phrase Black Lives Matter, which I mean, I know we want to all redefine it and find some other thing. I mean, we're all I find people fighting more against Black Lives Matter, the organization or the expression than they actually fight against racism. Mm-hmm. And that's what's dangerous to me. Like, it doesn't matter if there's an organization I don't agree with. It happens to have like, OK, mm-hmm. I'm making that pretty clear. But I'm not, I do believe there's a, I mean, I'm talking to too many of my black friends or reading too many books. I mean, I'm telling you there's, there are things happening. They've been saying for years that we haven't listened well and we can take action on regardless of whether or not you make a boogeyman called the communists or make a boogeyman called Black Lives Matter. They might be real and bad. I don't agree with, with, I mean, it's it's a tragedy uh, that they, 
kill those cops in LA. It's a tragedy. It's yeah. wrong. It doesn't, there, there's no, that's not justice no. <laughs> to go do that. That's not equalizing justice. Um, it doesn't mean though that there's not a, a problem with race. You know, it means right. that I mean, it has to apply to all in some ways. So I think just coming to that place of saying, Hey, don't, Number one, realize history in this particular – I don't know how we got to this topic, but history is – it doesn't always repeat itself. But when you go back and really read, I'm, I'm reading you the poster, and then, yes, you reference McCarthyism. I mean, it literally – the Red Scare. I mean, McCarthy and his goons absolutely destroyed the careers of lots of just really solid politicians mm-hmm. with the threat and the fear. There of, were Hollywood stars blacklisted, too, because oh, it was like, oh, yeah. the liberal elite in Hollywood – and they found a few. In the end, if you should go read The Soul of America, John Meacham and his whole chapter on that, it's unbelievable. And, and the need that Joseph McCarthy had, in fact, after he, he died shortly after they took away, finally Congress shut him down. Mm-hmm. He died very shortly thereafter. And psychologists and doctors and everyone believes he literally had this incessant need to be at the centerpiece of every news story. And when it was taken away from him, when America finally said, after multiple, many years, actually, enough. Yeah, yeah. He had dom- Every time it would start to quiet down, he'd be like, wait, but here. And he'd, he'd, it was, he wasn't even making, you know, <laughs> he wasn't even trying to distract from the fact that that's what he was doing. His friends, the people who worked with him, they all came out after he died and said, that's exactly, I mean, the man had a pathological problem. Right, it's narcissism. With being at the center of this. Yeah. It, you know, it wasn't any, about communism or protecting the country anymore. It was about him. Mm. And so, like... That you realize, though, that communism thing is so scary, especially to our generation. I don't like communism, everybody. I'm against Marxism, and, and I started this whole diatribe because pastors are being called social Marxists who were talking about systemic racism. Mm-hmm. And you go, you did what? Like, yeah. I'm a, I'm a minister. You made that leap so that you could discount me. Yeah, I mean, that's Just a pretty you could big, me. Yeah. It's a pretty big leap. And it, yeah. honestly, honestly, a lot of people they've never actually read what social Marxism is. Right. I'm against it, but they probably couldn't tell you, yeah, like the basic tenets of or the history of communism and all. And that's when again, I, I don't mean to sound elitist or something. I'm not a professor. I'm just saying, guys. To make a jump, all you're not it, even a counselor. No, I'm not even licensed. But you know, if you make that jump to scare people into doing what you want to do. That that's really what it is. You scare them to one side, uh, and I just think it's okay to not be scared, uh, to trust in the Lord. And you know, like you said the other day, I mean, uh, this this is not the nation that's going to stand forever. I hope it stands much longer. I hope it goes well. I pray for the, our president. I pray for our election. I mean, those are all good things to do. This is my second home. You know. So, I mean, this is the only place, and that's a spiritual thing. I don't have a second home in, in life. You've got physical. How life. many homes do you need? A 1996 you? truck and a crooked tooth. <laughs> this is my summer home. Um, <laughs> good grief. That's funny. Guys, this earth is just my summer home. Mm, and won't that? That'll preach. A winter, actually, in heaven. <laughs> and, heaven is like the Hamptons. <laughs> and one day. It's like the Catskills. We'll all go there and the bring a swimsuit, guys. It's going to be balmy. When does Mrs. Maisel come back on? I don't know. You know, everything's been upset by the COVID schedules. Like, there's a couple shows I'm watching, and they got halfway through, and so they released, like, the first four episodes of it, and, it, and you're like, oh, and you're just, now it's a cliffhanger that's going to last 12 yeah. months, probably. There was a story about how movies, they tried to bring movie theaters back, but nobody came. Mm. So now they don't know what to do again. Guys, isn't that just like... <sighs> Um, what happened for real? <laughs> <laughs> it's not an analogy or a metaphor. It yeah, really happened. They really didn't come. Yeah. 
No, uh, I saw that uh, they they just released the uh, trailer for the Mandalorian season two. So I don't know if yeah. they got that done before. They got it done in okay. time, I think. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. I don't know. There's a bunch of movies that they were hoping to like be like, this will bring the one that brings them back. Now they're just being like, we're going to wait to, you know, now they're waiting till next year. Did you see the new Mulan? The live no. action Mulan? And you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you pay the $30? I did. Wow. I would have taken her to the movie and spent way more than that. That's the thing. Parents were getting upset and tweeting about that. And I was like, you would have spent more yeah. than this. Like, I get the studio trying to recoup 30 a normal bucks would amount. Have not even covered the tickets. Yeah. You know, much less the popcorn. In the I movie. guess it is. They are selling an experience, though, when you go to the movies. It is an experience. But, I mean, also, wrangling kids into a theater and having them be quiet so they don't ruin the experience of the other people. Yeah. That is a whole other thing. Yeah, I liked it. I hear it's getting, and you know, it doesn't have the Eddie Murphy dragon. Right, there's uh, none of the whimsical sorry. elements are all yeah. gone, right? But I, I think the reason people don't like it is, I think it's Because more, they're racist, John. No. <laughs> I do think it's more true to Chinese culture. Yeah. I think there were some things about the English humoristic side of things uh-huh. that don't wouldn't really fit if you're going to be true to the actual story and the time they did it. So I thought they did a pretty decent job of... Of taking that out again, and to me, I'm not making it a racial thing. I just thought it was a little more like, okay, that not that the story's believable, but because it has elements of magic and other things in it. But you know, it's it's a more it's a suspension of disbelief that I can buy into that. Okay, there's a female warrior who's who's really yeah. strong and goes to fights to save her family and has to hide her identity. You know, like that, I can buy into. Um, I'm actually surprised there wasn't more drama from two things. One, like. That, that whole thing of when you do something about a culture nowadays, it feels like everybody's going to come out and say, like, this isn't true to my experience. So you're being you're appropriating or you're in the wrong. Yeah. Disney's been accused of that many times before. Pocahontas and many other things. Right. And then the other thing is like the um, yeah, the whimsical elements are gone. But the I'm surprised like she basically it's the uh, misogyny. You know, like the idea that she has to pretend to be a man to to get to go to war. Like, I'm surprised there wasn't more like, oh, this is exactly what we don't need right now. Well, that is the whole point, though. The the point is, is they're mistreating her. Yeah. And that eventually when she is finally revealed, they're like, they are the ones who are corrected. She's just as she's just as good of a warrior. She's a better warrior. She's a better warrior. Yeah. But I mean, that's another she happens to be doesn't mean that all women are better warriors than all. Wait a minute. John. I know that would be also another. You tread lightly, my friend, because (laughs) she she had had the ability to do what she was going to do regardless. And they do. They all come around. The emperor honors her and invites her to be one of his top generals. But There's no wise cracking dragon. No, no, the it's you know it's actually a um, phoenix. That's their family thing. Oh, okay. So the phoenix keeps though mysteriously flying through a lot of the shots, like when she's in trouble and stuff. So like as the father says, and at the end the emperor's like rise like a phoenix. You know when she loses her sword, so has to fight the bad guy with the power from within, Johnny. I'm not endorsing all those powers within uh, religiously. Man. You understand that? But I'm just saying it was a Disney movie that we enjoyed. So, so you've taught your daughter to cast spells. All the things I'm worried about my daughter and, and I'm wage war. showing her these things. Oh, my, my. It's she's, so funny. she's probably snuck off somewhere with a sword right now. Like right now she is. She's pulled her hair up under a hat and she has got a sword. the Chinese army. She's gone. It's crazy. Man, I tell you what, they, they grow up so fast. <laughs> they do. Do they do? <laughs> hey, we hope that uh, you've grown up a little bit, listener, as you've, as you've, as you've. today. 
Isn't today and another day. No, it's been fun being with you today. Make sure you go to talkaboutthatpodcast.com where you can uh, find everything you need. Archived episodes, John. Yeah. You can go and back and link listen. to our Patreon where you can chip chip in a few bucks. Yeah. Help us keep making this thing. Yeah. yeah we're still going. We can't be stopped. Can't be stopped. Won't be. Well, can't, could, could be. Should be. Pretty easily stopped, actually. But it's Shan't okay. be. <laughs> Maybe it meant something to you. Maybe something was interesting. You can share it with a friend. There'll be a lot. Ask them to go and hit that subscribe button whenever mm-hmm. they do that. That'd be awesome. Uh, and uh, thank you guys who have been our, our patrons. Uh, we just passed. Uh, we're coming up, actually. I'm passing a year that we've had uh, patronage through yeah. Patreon. We thank patrons. you for your... Yeah. It means a lot. It does. It does. It's helped us do a lot of those ads and other things we've been putting out. So uh, we, we appreciate you guys and all your faithfulness to that. That, that just uh, honors us, and we want to honor you. So, hey, uh, send us questions, topics, other things you want to hear us talk about, and we'd be happy to bring those up uh, anytime. We enjoy. And in case you haven't figured it out, we enjoy talking. So mm, Too much, maybe. Maybe a little too much. But, hey, guys, thanks for being with us. As always, we'll see you next week on Talk About That. This, this is my skyship, Dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination, dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.